Happy Mother's Day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Excalibros. Happy Mother's Day to you, which is confusing, because two months ago it was Mother's Day here. Oh, really? So, oh, well, then. I'm, I'm, I am I am now like, should I have done something for my mum? <laughs> <laughs> so like, no, no, we've already done that. <laughs> Only the Queen gets to celebrate twice. Yeah. Mm. Because she's also the mother of the country? I, I assume so. I don't know. If she gave birth to the country, I'm clearly the bastard offspring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay then. Well, um, I don't know what to say to that, Dan. You've, 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 you've thrown me here. It's all right. Talking about bastard offspring, um, <laughs> we'll, start with, we'll start with exiles, shall we? Yeah, well, all right. So... Uh, uh, this episode we're going to cover our normal books. We've got Excalibur, Exiles, Generation X, and the uh, the new uh, the new hot to trot book on the scene, X Factor. Um, so Dan, we're going to start with Exiles number twenty six. Number twenty six. Yes. Well, what was old is gone now, and what is new is Austin. Um, we have Chuck Austin as our head writer. Um, mm-hmm. The infamous Chuck Austin, I suppose some would say. Yeah. We have Clayton um, as pencils. I could not tell you who the inker is. It could be one of, as usual, my stupid book just gives me a massive it's list. The inker, you mean? Yeah, the inker. Is it Tom Mandrake? I think it's Morales. Um, Mark Morales. He's on the list, but he's not. Yeah, it's, it's Mark Morales. You'd, you'd think my collection would list them of, of when they appear. Mm, you would think, <laughs> like yeah. Um, Colorist is apparently still the Transparency Digital. Yep. Um, um, letters are either Portatrone or Dave Sharp. It depends on the day, it would seem. Um, <laughs> I like new collections, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if anyone else noticed I've bought a new collection recently, but they actually pay, they actually issue right. number who does what, yeah, which yeah. I think is better. Yeah, this one and is, so is uh, Tutron, just to be clear. Oh, yes, it's Tutron. Um, it's not clear. And on my textless front cover, we have um, a bosom wearing a sword, holding a sword. Um, Basically, I yeah. I mean, Ileana, um, standing in fire with massive feet and breasts. Yep, massive feet, the longest of legs, and a breast with the sword in between it, yep. Um, I don't know who does this cover. Do you know who does this cover? This doesn't feel like the same artist from inside. Um, the signature is hard to read. It's it looks like something Rick. Uh, I I don't know. But anyway, um, it's a cover. It's the sexy woman, and it exists. Yep, and that that fire flame that she's standing on is just awful digital coloring. Yep, same as the blade. Um, mm-hmm. um, so we start in a new, fresh world. Um, it is a world where um, Iron Fist um, Heroes for Hire is actually called Heroes for Hire Inc. and employs pretty much every superpower hero in the world, and they he's a dick. Um, essentially, hmm. and he refuses to help um, Japan, who is under attack by the astonishingly named Moses Magnum, 
Um, and for five billion, you can pay for the Avengers package apparently, and Japan's not ready to fund, fund that bill. Um, so just because Danny's a dick, he just he, he just lets he hangs up and it's, it's like meh business. People in the dead. Uh, then we but if you think about it in like the terms of of like GDP, five billion to save your country isn't like nothing. <laughs> you know this what? is true. Like it's a it's a hell of a lot of money, but a country paying five billion for security is like yeah, and like what day is it? He's, he's, yeah. Surely there's a payment plan. Surely you can do like heroes for hire monthly installments. Right. Yeah. Um, but he's a, he he didn't get a donut, and he woke up on the wrong side of bed, so he's just letting people die. Um, he could have easily negotiated. And then we get uh, this double page spread of our exiles who have teleported in. Um, Japan with a new teleportation um, and, uh, um, effect because Blink's no longer there. We now have like a, a di- I assume that's Ileana's disc. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think of the new um, art style, Dan? Because we we've really not only have we changed writer, yeah. but the, sort of the look of the book has has changed as well. Right. So the look of the book is so vi- like bizarrely like we've just had a really dark Kev Walker. Huge, dark, huge shadows coloring, and then we we have this really vibrant. Um, it feels quite alive mm-hmm. in the color work, and I think Transparency Digital works really well with the art style. And I am a little bit of a fan of Clinton Henry because he, let's just say, in the early two thousands, he did this, and I think he did an Alpha Flight book that I really enjoyed, and I I, I think it's. It's clean, it's serviceable, it is influenced um, by like more of an animated style. Yes, for sure. Um, it's very superhero-y, but mm-hmm. it kind of it works for me. Um, I think he's got enough going for it that he can sort of animate the characters quite well. Um, it's kind of like... A, it kind of reminds me of, of that sort of Disney 90s style of TV show where they sort of make everyone... Even the humans look slightly rounded. Right. Um, the only one I can think of off the top of my head is is, is gargoyles, um, uh, where things sort of looks like it could be an animation, but is trying to grasp slightly at some sort of semblance of realism. Um, but yes, I don't mind it. How about you? I mean, you you, you kind of nailed it. It's it's very clean, uh, like you mentioned, very clean lines. Very sort of, I don't want to say basic, but like the coloring is is, is kind of simple to match the lines, and I I think it, it works well together. I don't know, like it's 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 a very different look to the book, and it kind of matches uh, Austin's take on on the story as well, where you're like, I know exactly where this is going. I can like after three pages, I know how the book's going to end. <laughs> it's very simple, like, oh, yep, this is obviously what's going to happen. So, like, the the artwork sort of matches it in that, like, simple, straightforward, this is what this book is going to be look. And it, it works for it. I don't know. I'm still getting used to it compared to what we had before. And and since the tone of the book has oh, changed as well, I'm just like, I don't know how I how I feel about this book yet. Like, I, I, I would say it's bad, but it's just like I'm still getting used to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a seismic shift 
um, one of the biggest surprises, is, as we will find out, is that um, Sasquatch actually speaks um, a lot more in this one issue than she has. Yes, ever. Sasquatch so, and Sunfire both have more lines than they've ever had before. Um, I think um, if the interior, if the cover was hyperly sexualized, I think Henry does much more of a better job of. It's still very. It can be a bit. It's got some. The men are uh, quite. Um, well, Cal's very cheesecake. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a little bit more here that um, there's a bit more of a frame with cheesecaking the women too much. Um, and I also really like the depiction of Sasquatch um, in this. I think um, it's simple, but the way Henry's put the fair. Kind of gives it gives her her more of a sort of unique look than she did in the previous um, times we've seen her. Mm-hmm. For um, sure. And um, I do like later on we get like a transfer, a semi transformation, which I think is quite cute to see. Right. But anyway, um, so <clears throat> Chuck Austin um, jumps straight in with our uh, our heroes. Um, they're surrounded by death and destruction. Uh, apparently. Not only is Sunfire a lesbian, she likes saving people's lives, which we finally find out after a hundred issues of her. Um, so she has two character traits now. Um, so put that in the bank. Morph no longer makes jokes. Um, when he does, it's at really bad times. Um, yeah. Like it's not. Um, again, uh, TJ points out the obvious. That's her defining character trait throughout the book so far. Um, Cal is just done with everything. He is just over it now. <laughs> he's just he does not. He's not. He's not even bothered. And um, not at all. Ileana's a a horrible person, um, basically. Uh, but we have this team, and the team of for a lot of it is talking heads about talking about. Um, <clears throat> it's obviously purposeful that it's Japan, so that Sunfire can have. Uh, sort of a, a, a backup to it could have been anywhere and you could still have this response but it seems exploitative that it is Japan um, and what I expect of probably Austin's run is there's going to be a lot more exploitation uh, <laughs> um, but the, 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 the gist of the most of the book uh, is the decision of whether they should help and not do the time brokers decision which is to stop the Avengers um, I know this is an orthodox people that I'm not going to go through page by page, but it, there is, it's Clermontian in the fact that it, it beats around the bush so much that it doesn't get to the point near the end. Right. Uh, and the essential gist is Sunfire is on one side um, saying that we should probably help these people and to hell with the time broker. Consequences be damned. We have no idea if we're going to go home or not. Um, every time we go on a mission anyway outside of this when we're back home is it could be life or death it could be the last time we ever do it um, and Ileana's on the other side of fuck them do the missions kill the Avengers or whatever we have to do right. and move on um, she's very matter of fact she's very weapon X um, and Cal's kind of sides with her for the most part until he's touched on the face by Sunfire literally just a gentle nudge on the face and saying come on let's be heroes that's who you are um, Austin's I've probably given it more nuance than Austin does um, and he swings for the idea that Cal's fed up with it all and has just, just given up because Blink has, 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 has died, has moved on 
And without Blink, Cal is just lost. If it wasn't for the dialogue, that does not come across whatsoever. I would um, say even with the dialogue, that's not super clear. Like, he mentioned her, her once or twice, like, yeah, Blink's gone and I miss her, but so what? It's just us now. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, you were in a relationship, I think. And then suddenly you're like, whatever. Fuck her. And, on the, and while that is happening, we have this um, attempt to flesh out the world where Danny's a dick, then the next time we see him, they're literally mirroring each other. It's a, The narrative's purposefully mirror, mirroring each other. They're a dick. And then Danny's like, oh, I'm flying over flaming Japan. He's like, maybe I should have helped. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Scorpion as Ileana, who's like, no, let's just do this and kill. It's just business. And then you have um, no one else in Danny's corner saying anything. Right. Um, and the conclusion is that Cal decides to step up as the leader and save these people. Uh, and even though Ileana was like, we should do the mission and go stop the Avengers, she offers to go and meet the Avengers? And you totally trust the sword-wielding psychopath. Yeah, that, yeah, totally. She, this wasn't easy to tell what was going to happen at all. Then. I had no idea. What a surprise. <laughs> it's it's so surprising when she's like, I'll go. And Cal's just like, yeah, go on. Then. When you'd, you'd probably send Sasquatch to meet them. Not the the one that's like I will murder them right. if I see them. So lo and behold, she attacks the Avengers, killing Scorpion, and um, it, her little storyline ends with the rest of the the Danny and that seeing them. I do like Danny's design in this, and I like the fact that it, it's like he has matching matching costume with um, Luke Cage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously Peter's like, "That's my sister." So there's something going in the background there, which may or may not have something to happen in the next part. Yes, this is a two-part story, because you can't just do this in one. Um, We have Cal and uh, Sasquatch go and take out Moses, or try to take out Moses Magnum from his secret bond lair on his island. Um, There's that nice panel of her transforming slightly, which I do like. They get there, and they find out he is already on his way to Japan because people are helping mm-hmm. to stop the people helping. And the people that are helping are Morph, TJ, and Sunfire. And we have this interesting moment where Morph talks about, well, maybe I shouldn't um, make a joke while this is happening. And then Sunfire, or should I say Chuck Austin, says, you are a better character when you're not making jokes because I don't know how to make jokes with you. <laughs> and then, Mo- then Moses Magnum turns up and is like, I'm going to murder the hell out of all of you. Um... Look at my robots and my random blonde woman that has come with me. Right. Um, and that's the end of the book. And it is... Right. For all the ragging we've done on Winnick, all of the ragging, um, the tonal shift for me, the massive the massive uh, shift that makes it a bit bizarre to read, especially if you read it in this collection as like all at once and you're doing it over a couple of nights or something, is um, <clears throat> Winnick has a, a sense of sophistication with his characters... Not always. We have criticised him heavily for some of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a bit more of um, to do. There's a bit more depth there with Winnick. Even when he fails, he at least tries to put something in. And um, and it's so easy to rag on Austin, um, I suppose, especially um, remembering what he did to Kurt um, in X-Men. Kurt, Husk, him. Angel, the whole, the whole weird... Strange tale. And, and I recently, knowing that we were reading in here, I recently reread his X Men 
which was a mistake. Um, <laughs> and, um, I can safely say that this is better yes. than a lot, of, a lot of his run. Yep. But it is simplistic. It is very simplistic and some writers can't help but show you what they want to do straight away without any um, nuance or any... It's like being hit with a brick. Yeah. He doesn't know how to handle Morph, so he, he he's put clearly put in... He's putting in provisos to make sure Morph's less funny or says jokes less. Mm-hmm. Um, he... He's, there's been a lot... There was heavy criticism um, when this first came out that the female characters in Winnick's book uh, weren't having dialogue. So maybe he's heard that criticism and has decided to, like, up his game. Or alternatively, because Sunfire and Sasquatch have literally a blank slate almost, maybe he decided to use those two as, like, a ma- major members. Or maybe I'm misreading and in the next issue they're just not there. Could be. Um, but he decides to... Um, right... It annoyed me that Sunfire is the only one that's like, this is great. This is this is a great place to be heroes. We should save these people. Because I'm Japanese and they're Japanese. <laughs> that annoyed me. It could have I wish it was just anywhere else in the world. You know what I mean? And Sunfire was just like, No, we're heroes, we should save them. Because if she said that in like, I don't know, downtown um LA or in, in London or something, I wouldn't have bat an eyelid and be like, Yeah, that's what a hero says. You know, it wouldn't have been weird. He made it weird. Um, for me, he made it weird, which is his, which would be his slogan of his entire Uncanny X Men run. He made it really yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah. And I think the time. Oh yeah, we haven't. I haven't talked about the time broker. His constant natter about the time broker means that obviously we're going to get a plot about the time broker being evil. Yeah. And that the telegraph poles. The, the telegraphing he's, he's doing, they might be might as well be signs on painted on the moon, that that obvious. Um, saying that, because it's so simplistic and the art is quite simple and clean, it does sort of work. It's very average. Um, it's it's not a, so offensive that I hate, like I don't want to read it, and it's not so it's not good to make me want to jump in all the time. But it's so it's average. Whereas like it's like um, oh I'm collecting exiles. This isn't a bad book. I'll I'll keep collecting it. You know what I mean? Yeah, for um, sure. I think when we were talking about this book earlier, I said it was competent. Is is the word I used? And maybe yes. that's a little too reductive. But uh, I mean, as you mentioned, it's it's like he- heavily telegraphed, and it's. I mean, there there are good things. And there are things that just aren't aren't great, you know. Um, I, I I still reserve judgment in how I feel about this book because it's just it's a very tonal shift, and you know I I just want to address as you mentioned, like we did. I don't know if rag on winning is is the right way to put it, but we did you know criticize when it was appropriate. But by comparison, you look at this book and what Winnick was writing, and you're like, okay, I I. I really appreciate what he was doing a little bit more, even if characters got like Sunfire was there what from the beginning, and or was she more like episode issue two or three? She showed up. I don't remember. Uh, basically, she showed up after um, Magnus died. Magnus died. Yes, yeah, so issue three or end of issue two, something like that. 
it's like she had what twenty twenty three issues where she only had one issue where she actually hung out with Morph. Remember how much we loved that issue? Like when he actually gave time to a character, like you would appreciate what he was doing, but maybe he just didn't have time for all the characters. So it's nice to see these other people speak a little bit. Um, but aside from that, you you compare it to Winnick, and you're like, wow, okay. I, I, I need to, uh, it makes me want to actually go back and reread the issues we've already read because <laughs> I'm going to enjoy them more by comparison. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think there's um, a distinct sort of, it's very, like I called the artwork cartoonish, it's very Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah. Um, For the, the most part. And that I think that's the big the big problem, I think, forever. For, 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 it's just a bizarre choice. Some bizarre choices is all. Yeah. But at the same time, it does work. It works. And, and part of it is also like, we're worried about his, oh no, is this going to be like uncanny? And the fact that it's it's better than that, you're like almost relieved. And that almost yes. helps you feel better about the book than maybe it deserves to. <laughs> You know, it's hard Maybe. to it's hard to like not be biased reading this thing. Like, oh no, it's gonna be. Oh, it's not like that. Hey, this this could be worse. Okay, we'll keep going. Like, when 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 you're like, hey, this could be worse, is how you feel about a book. You may have to like reassess this after we get through his whole run. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think um, at the moment um, I'm I'm kind of riding that wave. It's not as bad as it was. And um, I'm kind of probably I don't know I kind of like the art style, so maybe I'm I'm riding on a more positive uh, from the artistic point of view because I kind of like just the bright colors and I think maybe seeing Exiles in like a, a bright sort of artistic style might work, but tonally at the moment there is a disconnect to what's happening on the page to uh-huh. how the art is depicted. And I wonder if that's going to be continuous. I don't know how long Clayton Henry's on the book for. Um, no idea. So, um, but I'm intrigued in the new direction, and we'll sure. see. I will say one spoiler slightly: mm-hmm. this book happening concordantly with his writing of Uncanny X-Men. Really, this is concurrent with his Uncanny. Yeah, pretty much. Whoa. Okay, that's interesting. To the point. To the point where. Something that happens in this series directly affects um, uh, the crossover. Yes. Well, we'll get to that when we get to that. But uh, sooner than you think. Hmm. Oh, that sounds like a threat, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Go hide. It's sooner than you think. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, then we'll get to it soon, I guess. Uh, it's just amazing that this book, by comparison. Not terrible. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he wanted to write Exiles and he just got, he got his Uncanny X-Men, he just got put on because someone had to write it at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the, that, that, that trope where people are like, oh, I have to write Uncanny? Fine, but I'm not going to do a good job at it. I don't give a fuck. Like, that's, that's the book that everyone's like, whatever. You know he it was putting his like heart and soul into that book. To be honest, for 20 years, I feel like that's the case. that's been the case. Oh, 
I'm not saying the results have been great all the time on Uncanny, but that's not the book where like, oh, I have to, oh God, my parents are making me take out the garbage, fine. Like, that's not, <laughs> I think we have people with like a lot of bad takes on the book, but not the people who didn't want to write it. You know, you know, in a bizarro alternate Exiles reality, I'm writing Uncanny and I'm doing it begrudgingly and killing off the chamber and every other fucking dude on crosses. Because I'm upset with life. So I'm writing Uncanny and not Exile. Oh, boy. That's clearly what's happening. All right. Well, then, I, I think it's time to move off from Exiles. But we we both, to a certain extent, enjoy this book, yeah? Yeah, I'd say I'd say it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's like, I, I, I want to I keep reading. I'll say that. All right. Well, let's move on to Excalibur number 25. Uh, we had, you know, we had Jason on last time, and I was really happy that he was on for, um, uh, oh god, I turn the I turn the mic on, and like all the names just run out of my, they leak out my ears, like from my brain. Yeah, so it was nice to have Jason on. We had Alan Davis artwork, right? When your friends are around, you want them to experience nice things with you, and now that he's gone, we can. Deal with this trash, because this book, oh my goodness, not just, you know, Claremont can, like, run away with a book, and if someone's not wrangling him in, in certain ways, if it's not artwork or, like, addressing any scripting with him, it can go to to un, unrecognizable. And this artwork, like the, the script does that, the, the writing does, like the dialogue does that, and then the artwork doesn't help whatsoever. Like this was this was a tough one to get through. Uh, I don't know about you, Dan, but for the creators on this book, we have uh, Claremont as the writer, Chris Wozniak doing pencils, who I think we had on before in the um, Cross Time Caper, yeah. And I think there were issues we were like, oh boy, what is what are we looking at? Uh, type issues. We have Milgram on inks, uh, Rick Parker on letters, and Patty, P-A-T-Y, as the colorist. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It, should, I feel like, though, if it's Patty, it should be two T's. Is this Patty? I don't know. I feel like someone misspelled Patsy. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I feel like, you know, 30 years later... A lot of the people on that list would like to have their names stricken from the record because this is not something you want to hang your hat on. Um, but uh, this is an issue about Galactus and Phoenix. And on the front cover, we have Galactus, who's like zapping the energy from Phoenix. And then we have the Watcher and someone else behind him looking on. This is not a great cover, Dan. Galactus certainly has a chest. <laughs> and he's been inflated. Inflated, and he's got a hole in his chest. To fit like a Why? bowling ball or something. Why is it that Claremont just loves stricking, you know, putting women in X poses in this book? Mm. Like just having them. This, how many times has Phoenix or Kitty been tied up to something? <laughs> it's it's, it's <laughs> yeah. Well, let's blow through this because this this issue blew itself. Um, yes. <clears throat> So last 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 time we left off where you know our, our team had returned and then oh there's Galactus and we see them looking up at Galactus and you're like oh you look at the faces especially Megan's and you think this is not going to be a good book because uh, they're already like dysmorphed. Uh, if 
with Megan's face for too long, it looks back at you. <laughs> I love that yeah. that the, the blank white stare from Captain Britain's eyes is the same blank white stare coming out of his mouth. And everyone else's mouth. Yeah, they're just... But they're being gagged. Yeah, it's... Um, see, I look at Megan, mm-hmm. and I'm like, there's femininity and masculinity wrapped into one, and I'd love to believe, i really love to believe that the writer was progr- the artist was progressive enough to, because no. she's a shapeshifter, yeah. like, merge the two no. gen- genders. And and it, I know it's it, I know that's not it, but I wish. Cause I know I generally don't think like as a gay man I don't look at women's breasts all the time, but they're not that low down. Um, oh, I'm you mean the sure. cleavage? Yeah, the cleavage could be way worse. I think he's just got like one model for for people. Like if you look at the head shapes of Megan and Rachel and Alistair and to a certain extent Kurt, they're all like the same long rectangular box. I think, you know, in anime, like if you watch One Piece, everyone has the same face, and the only way if you know it's a woman or a man is if they have breasts or not. Like, that's how I feel a little bit about this artwork. It's like the same model, <laughs> but like, oh, are there boobs? Oh, I guess it's a woman. Yeah. But saying that, the men have gigantic bosoms, too. Um, <laughs> yes, just slightly different shaped. Yeah. <laughs> All right, okay, so Galactus uh, is here. His Harold Nova is here, and uh, she gets in a fight with um, Phoenix. Phoenix knocks her to the moon. Uh, the Watcher shows up in, like, crazy Age of Apocalypse armor, and he's like, yeah, I'm just here to watch. He's also put on a few pounds. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like the Kingpin. Yes, exactly. Sorry. No, no, no. Um, so this is happening. There's just color around here uh just it's there's so much color going on it's hard to i just don't and this is a good part of the artwork like it gets worse as we go along here so galactus is like i've got the phoenix can't be allowed to live so i'm going to make a device to like rip the energy out of phoenix people get upset megan suddenly transforms into a female nightcrawler just because um, they blow up this machine Galactus has created, so he brings in some monsters for people to fight. And I do love that uh, Captain Britain gets beaten up twice, and the second time, Kurt's like, dude, I just told you not to go lunging in at stuff. Why do you have to do this again? You make me save you again? Like, this, the, at, least, at least we're consistent here with Captain Britain being a total dumbass. Like, what, what can I do? Big muscles punch. Oh, it didn't work? Well, I'll try it again. Big muscles punch. It's... What, 25 issues in, Dan, does he ever stop doing that? Never. But we do have we do, we do do have a, a moment that actually works, which is, is it Rachel acknowledging that Kurt's been the only leader the right. whole time they've been together? Well, and that's what the dialogue was like. What is, what is, you're the boss, Fuzzy. Funny, now that I mention it, he almost always is. Like, I couldn't, maybe it was just me being little sleepy yesterday but i was reading this dialogue and i couldn't follow what was going on it doesn't it actually doesn't make sense because she's holding out is it alistair she's holding yeah but claremont makes the decision of (laughs) alistair being silent (laughs) while she talks to herself right um which is such a weird thing to do when you've got to because you could have had a discussion there from those few panels 
Like she could have said it, and then he could have said something else, and then but oh, and they both come to agreement that Cat's the leader. Right. Not I make this. The dialogue doesn't work anyway. No. It's 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 Claremont's worst script for a while. And Alistair's like, I have an idea. So Phoenix picks him up, and then they just randomly stuff happens to them. Like they go in into the the lighthouse, and then they're somewhere else, and then they're like cat people, and you're like, this is not told in any understandable way at all. Um, then like more more stuff just like randomly happens, and then Alistair finds something in his pocket that he was looking for. Do we know what this even is? I can't even. To be honest, I cannot even for life me remember. Um, because they haven't been home very long, I, right? But around, like, because they're going into the Nazi train to find it, and I can't remember Alistair researching that much in the Nazi train because he went on the top cost timekeeper. So it's like, okay, well, he's like he pulls out some magic machine, and you feel like it's going to be an an ultimate nullifier kind of a a deal here. Um, the rest of Excalibur, like fighting monsters, uh, there's just like a color thrown up on the pages here. As as there's more fighting, um, eventually someone else shows up and she's like, "Hey, you know, you guys are fucked, <laughs> basically." And then Phoenix talks to someone who she she knows or is supposed to have known. It's really not clear to me who this is. The dude who ends up just like dressed in a in a flannel outfit, like he's gonna go lumberjacking here. Because I thought it was death to begin with, and then I'm like, is it death? I'm. <sighs> I couldn't tell you, and I'm not gonna go back and reread this to find out. But like they have a discussion, and then Phoenix is like, "Screw you! I'll show you." Uh, Nova comes back to fight, uh, and then Phoenix beats her up again. Uh, then, then Alistair tries his like machine and does nothing. Of course, uh, so eventually they're like, "Oh!" Then Megan freaks out for reasons. Whatever. None of this makes any sense. Uh, you're lucky I'm not going into more detail. In the end, they're like, "Screw it! I guess we can't do anything." So Phoenix chooses to just sacrifice herself. Uh, they all say goodbye, and then um, these like talking heads help get Galactus to realize, "Oh, the Phoenix Force is necessary in the universe." And he's like, "Oh." Okay, I guess I I can't destroy you. Goodbye. And he leaves. And then suddenly we're in... Kitty's sleeping on a train. And then she's like imagining what happened with her in another universe. I don't know if... Or she's like on the train to like arrive somewhere at a school. It's not clear. Um, You know, this train image I thought was like falling out of the sky onto a planet, but I look at it again, and it's it's just like on the mountainside. Like, I was, it's so unclear to me what, what was going on artistically. Uh, but she's like, yeah, I'm going to the school. See you later, Mom. What happened here, Dan? Like, does this make any sense <laughs> to you? I was just like, what? Because, like, Courtney, as brain, she's now, like, Courtney's daughter? Because of what happened last time. I mean, last time she was, like, hitting on her, and now they're like, hey, together, like, <laughs> mentor-mentee kind of a thing. And then she's going to a boarding school? So, mm-hmm. that's going to happen. I just thought this was a complete mess of a book. 
artistically, story-wise, the dialogue didn't make any sense back and forth. Like, this is, you re I read this and I was like, oh God, do we have to, I mean, we're not giving up this book. It's in her, it's in her damn name. We're not giving up Excalibur. But, uh, <laughs> like, it, at the moment I was like, oh, do we have to keep doing this? And then I looked at who's the writer moving forward. Uh, we've got another writer uh, next issue, so that's going to be interesting. And the penciler is Ron Lim, so I'm like, okay, maybe this will bounce back a little bit. And, and Glennis Oliver is going to be coloring the next issue as well, so I thought, okay, this is like a one-off Galactus BS story. We'll, we'll forget about it, and, and, and we'll move on, right? So that, that's my, my, my hope, is that this is going to pick up moving forward a little bit, especially since Alan Davis is going to come back in, like, what, issue 30-something? Yeah. So uh, I think we're in a holding pattern, Dan. And it's not pretty, but we're going to tough it out. I feel as like where, where I stand on this book. Because I think um, Claremont leaves soon as well. Or, or he just sort of like phases himself out a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, a lot more guest writers appear. Yeah, next issue it is Michael Higgins. Yeah, Michael Higgins uh, writes a few more issues, like issue 29, such forth. Um, unfortunately, the artist returns a few more times in my collection. But Well, you know, it, I'm, I'm looking through MU, and not to get too far ahead of it, but we've got Ron Lim for issue 26. Uh, then we have Barry Windsor Smith doing issue 28 or 27. Uh, right. And then we've got yeah. Colleen Doran... Who I don't know. And then, yep, and then Wozniak comes back again. Um, so, like, we're going to have like a, a a number of different artists and writers as well. Like Higgins is on this for a while. Uh, Terry Austin is on this for a minute. Like, we're gonna we're gonna see yeah. a bunch of like uh, guest guest one off appearances here. So this could be interesting. I think Claremont does just vanish, doesn't he? Just literally just goes, no, I'm bye. done. I'm done. I finished my cross time <laughs> bullshit. I'm done. <laughs> um, we'd have to, I'd have to have a proper look, but I think he might just, just vanish. Um, basically. I wonder if he's, there's a storyline which makes, which will make sense to everyone because now we've seen that Kitty goes there. I'm, I think it's called like the boarding school of heck or something. Right. Um, which I think is, I think Claremont writes it. I can't remember. But it does feel like he phases out now. Um, to focus on the rest of the rest of the books that exist. Well, he looks like he comes back to early 30s uh, to write a little bit more. Boy. I love how we're charting the course of when Claremont leaves as, as, yeah. as hope that it gets better. And it's, it's interesting because Scott Lobdell comes in for a couple issues to... to take over look we're talking like five or six issues in a row here at least so uh that'll be that'll be interesting to see uh you know i thought um alan davis came in, in the 30s i was wrong uh he does not <laughs> appear <laughs> uh not until issue 42 so we've got well we've got like another year of this book before we get alan davis back dan we could just um, go crazy and just read, just do one episode dedicated to free issues of Excalibur. Just burn, <laughs> burn for it. Um, but anyway. I feel like should, I rambled a lot. Is, is there anything you want to talk about in this book? Or ready to I move on? I do not like it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I 
um, my usual um, uh, descriptive uh, language has failed me because what we looking through it again as you described it, I self indulgent doesn't even cross cross is is an understatement. Um, I'm glad there's more control over writers now. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's a, it's a it's a horrible mess. It's a it's a terrible book. It, it doesn't really tell a coherent story. The artwork looks almost like visual vomit sometimes. Um, it just it's bad. Word. All right. Well, let's 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 move on from this. We're gonna have some interesting things happening moving forward in the book. But uh, this was not one of those times. So uh, what's next on the agenda here, Dan? Uh, Generation X. Um, I hate these deluxe editions because they don't tell me the actual number. Number 14, um, which is written by Scott Lobdell, um, Pasquale Ferry, uh, Pasquale, yeah, uh, on pencils, Mark Buckingham on inks, uh, Richard Starkings. Is it Starkings or Sterlings? I need to zoom in. Um, Starkings and Comic Crafter Lettering and Steve Bushlow. I don't like this and Pals business. Um, <laughs> Steve Bushlow and Pals on Colors. And uh, the front cover is Bacalow, um with Empire's Vengeance, guest starring the X-Men's Bishop, because why not? And <clears throat> uh, we have Bishop and the Gen X um, people. Also, if anyone is eagle-eyed enough, the pose that Husky's doing is the exact same pose she uses when right. she tackles Tenon. Um And so everyone's just fighting on the front of her. It's okay. Um, even for Bacalo, uh standards, it's, it's just okay. Yep. Um, we got more of that, like, generic background, uh, wallpaper, and you only need to draw, like, two-thirds of a page. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. And then, this is... Um, I don't know if the issue's actually called this, but Jubilee's top ten reasons why Mplate is a loser is the um, way we start this, and they are not funny reasons. Um, Jubilee, if anything, has proven why she. some people find her annoying in literally a panel. Um, the Gen Xers, minus M and Sync, are wrapped up in the Mplate cocoons of Bitchin. Then we move to Bishop and M, who M seems to be infantilized here, like weirdly yeah. younger than normal. And she's whiter than normal, which is bizarre. Um, Bishop's huge and pointing a massive gun at Vicente. Uh, Bishop randomly recaps what has happened. Because when I meet you while we're in mid-combat, Georgie, I have to tell you exactly how you summoned me. Even though you know how you summoned me, mm. that is bad dialogue. Yes. Um, then the mummy jumps out of a portal and kicks him in the face. We don't know who the mummy is, but according to Scott Lobdell, um, the mummy himself would be horrified about what he's doing right now. Um, then Vicente enters Bishop through his mouth, which is not <laughs> as fun as it sounds. Um, and then Bishop. Who, whose powers I've never understood, somehow uses them to beat the smoke man. Meanwhile, Mplate um, absorbs some of Jubilee's genetic makeup, and Jubilee's like, ah, oh, joke's on you, because when I get angry, I 
explode more. And so he explodes loads. And then a hundred yards away, uh, Chamber and his ex are just talking in the mud because they've been buried in it. They see a lot of explosions and the Gen X kids have won and Banshee, Banshee's like, let's go. And <laughs> M-Plate makes a joke <laughs> while being stood on by Banshee. And then... Uh, then we cut to Bishop, who's coughing after all of that gas. Emplate, who was fighting Gen X, is now fighting M and Bishop. Um, and then, basically, she says something to Penance telepathically. Then we have Mondo and Skin talking, and Mondo looks evil. Like, generally, he's, he's about to kill someone because he looks like the Joker more than anything else. Um, whatever Jono's ex-girlfriend felt about wanting murder has gone now, and they just hug next to a tree. Um, Bishop sort of wins the fight with Mplate, and then Penance comes to save the day, and then he vanishes, and M's talking to a butterfly, and then they're all worried, because Everett's not around, and then we found out that Everett has been corrupted by Emplate and is on his way to kill his own family? Yup. And that's the end of the book. And the reason I say things like I'm questioning it, because it seems insane. Um, the best thing about this book, as of the last one, is the bits at the end, where it's the letter pages, and then it tells us about other things happened, because it's just reminded me that Amalgam is happening this present moment in oh. time comic book world and um, I really do remember X-Patrol quite fondly so that's the thing that happened um, yes um, oh wow uh, sorry Wolverine 100 you... is happening here too interesting yeah it's crazy it's um Loads of stuff's happening, right? You got Magneto and his magnetic men as well. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> so if you were an X Men fan back in the day, you had quite a lot of books to choose from. <laughs> Basically, quite a lot of books, and even a Storm miniseries. But anyway, we're supposed to be talking about the actual issue. Let's just say that it is cons- the, this continues the consistent tone of being crap. Um, I know that I should probably go into it more, but the color work is anemic. I feel like so it's done by colored pencils. It looks so like faded in here as well. Yeah, and everyone's weirdly highlighted to be whiter than they actually are. Yeah, which is just bizarre. Um, the action is messy. Um, I don't think um, very really captures any of the possible dynamic action sequences that could have happened here. It's just people leaping on people um, for the most part. The M-Plate's entire plan makes little to no sense now. It doesn't feel like he's actually taking vengeance. It just feels like he's monologuing um, for no reason. And then then just to make it even more annoying, uh, they've thrown in that Everett is going to go murder people because he's been corrupted. Um, 
which just seems like a, a throwaway let's just keep this storyline going mm. which makes me feel like the storyline's a holding pattern for Lobdell to leave or him to do another story they touch on the penance mystery vaguely um, the rest of the kids might as well not be characters anymore because whatever <laughs> whatever beautiful characterization that Lobdell was doing at the beginning of this book has just been thrown out the window even focusing on M M doesn't even sound like herself no um, throwing Bishop in doesn't really help uh, he he muddies the story a lot more he does more of the heavy lifting uh, literally and figuratively uh, than the rest of the cast making Sean almost redundant as an ex-X-Man um to help. I feel like letting M play capture everyone was a mistake and they could have done a lot more with him capturing maybe a handful of the team while the rest of the team did it. Sidelining Skin and Mondo because of reasons um, didn't really help and Chamber and his ex-girlfriend making up meant that an entire plot point was almost pointless. pointless Yeah. like the weight to how they've made up, it's just she's buried in the dirt as well. And so we're friends, again, reigning. This is like weird, um, in the art, there's a weird um, obsession with uh, movement lines. Right. And even movement lines when people are sat still. <laughs> Which kind of blows my mind. It's so heavily inked that um, everyone's wearing scar almost. Um, and I just don't think it's a very well put together book. It's not quite messy like um, Excalibur because you can follow the story, but there's nothing here to sort of. For how the book like started with a bang, it feels like this is the book dying, and it's on the last. Like it's been, it's like a modern comic that's been told it's about to be cancelled, and it's sort of just like sort of pittering out at the end of its life. It does. Weird, it's, yeah. Well, we're, we're issue fourteen, <laughs> and it's like. Out of, out of, out of seventy five it gets to. But it mm-hmm. just feels like it's given it feels like it's given up. So yes. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean I've just flipped through issues that come afterward and I think Lobdell is checking out I mean we see where he's only writing the plot and uh or he's got plot credit and someone else has the writing credit. I think he's he's focusing on other things. Uh Bakla obviously isn't available to write this uh, draw the book so we get more of the same artwork for a number of issues until Bakula comes back for you know one two more issues um it, it as you mentioned it feels like a holding pattern i don't think Lobdell knows what he wants to do with the characters anymore or he does he just doesn't have the energy to put the effort into it it's just like all right uh, i need something you ever like turn in a report where you're just like fuck it i just need to have something on paper like I'll, I can, I can, I can fix it later. I can explain myself to my boss later. I just, I gotta turn something in. That's what it feels like. This is to like fuck it. We, we need to have something on the shelf. Just to like throw this together, and uh, as long as it's released, I'll be fine. That's what this feels like. Like the, the, let's put together the minimal amount of effort needed to make a comic book and throw it out there. And it's the '90s, so people will still buy it. That's what this feels like, Dan. I, this was, like. Excalibur was a mess. This was like, this was like someone sticking, like the creator sticking his middle finger up to his own creation. Like I don't have time for you no more. <laughs> That's what this book was. 
Yeah, and the annoying thing is, is the storyline goes on for two more, these two more issues, this yeah. whole Everett it. And I'm like, no, no. Because <laughs> I want to get back to, like, because the book hasn't been able to breathe. I want to get back to the whole concept, perhaps, of them learning stuff and maybe fighting anything other than possessed members of their own team. Um, oh, well, that happened. Nope, we're gonna. I mean, we're gonna have a couple issues in a row with with Bacalo and uh, in in a little bit here, but um, we're gonna have to write out this. Sink is is an, an evil evil feeder for a couple more months here, Dan. <laughs> yeah, this is. <clears throat> we were talking about nostalgia earlier. And I obviously, in you as well, have nostalgia for that early, I don't know, 10 issues of this book that we were like, hey, this is this is really well done. And to be fair, they were really well done. And now we're at the, oh, I forgot this part of the book happened uh, stage. I don't, I, don't remember, I don't remember it sinking to these levels. of, But then I was a different person right. um, decades ago. So this may have... Younger me may have been like, this is amazing. I doubt it. But um, <laughs> I still feel like younger me would be like, oh, right. Well, younger me would have been like, that... cool, I've got the comic book to read. I love these characters. I get to read about them. It wasn't, you, you weren't analyzing any of this. You're just consuming because you were interested in these characters. Because I think younger me, because if something bad happened to one of my favorites, I'd be like, this is a bad issue. And one of my favorites was Sink. So. Right. I like, these are bad issues. My favorite character is evil. <laughs> um, <laughs> that kind of statistic moment. Uh, oh, God. Um, all I can think of now is it's like, listen to like issue 25. <laughs> we get, no, we get a couple, we get a couple issues at least in between there with Bacalo back drawing here. So we'll, we'll have something else happening for a minute. If you can hear that weird knocking um, that's happening on my end of the thing, I have no idea, but I think the person who lives above us has decided to make his own coffin. Because um, it's just bizarre knocking. But not like like he's fixing anything. It sounds like he's just nailing things into the floor. I hadn't heard it, but it's kind of rude he's just making a coffin for one. I mean, the pandemic's going on. He should be making coffins for everybody. It's only fair. It's all right. Well, there's other signs. I've got I've got Ian literally walking through the room right now, delivering a cup of tea to me because good. I'm his servant. Apparently, he's my he's my servant. He's 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 given words to what we were all thinking. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Ian, how you doing? Hey, I'm good, sir. How about yourself? All right. He's better than us. He doesn't have to read these comic books. Yeah, Ian, for sure. <laughs> I'll kill myself, lucky. I'm going to crack on. Have fun. We will. Because we'll have fun because we're moving on to the last. Mm. Yeah, let's um, move on to this last one. Uh, is X Factor number 72, Dan. Uh, written by Peter David. Uh, pencils, Larry Stroman. Uh, inked by Al Milgram. Letter is Michael Heisler. Colors by Glynis Oliver. Um, so, you know. Uh, great, great team, uh, like issue 71. And on the cover, we've got uh, our X-Factor standing over the, the dead body of 
Madrox and with strong eyes screaming, You killed Madrox, why? Um this is an interesting cover. Um I, I want to discuss the coloring here in that our team members all have like the correct colors going on and are highlighted within the crowd of like people sort of shaded blue and purple uh, almost to, to to make them stand out from like a crowd of onlookers. At, at first I was like, I didn't like that choice, but the more I think about it, I, I do like how our, our, our team is, is sort of s sticking out from everyone else. What do you think? I really like it. I also what I've noticed um, and what I actually adore is that uh, the color artist um, doesn't know what to really do with um, Strowman's Wolfsbane's hair. You don't know. So they, they just color in anything that's within the bracket of these spines because he's basically created spines and not really a a proper hair. Too. Right. So I, I, I think it works. I love the flowing nature of this like sort of like his Wolfsbane's the Wolfsbane for me. So I love the flowing nature. I think me too. the idea to have, have the crowd um, a different colour and the wall behind yellow, um, like the colour choices together shouldn't work because they're kind of ugly colour choices. But I think it works really well. And um, Strowman's like, artistic prowess of creating really unique looks on our character's faces if what we did with um, Excalibur was see the same white eyes and mouth, um, that's definitely never going to happen no. um, while we have him. And I think it's a really fun front cover. Um, and it yeah. definitely catch the eye. It would definitely catch the eye on the shelf, I think. For sure. So, uh, recapping from last issue, someone shot Madrax in his apartment and he crashed onto the pavement and he's dead and there's a crowd of onlookers and uh, a newscaster um, with her camera crew sort of broadcasting this. And I do love how she's given her hair is given the very similar treatment to Polaris's hair from the previous issue, where it's just kind of block color and, and flowing with a few little details. It's just, yes. I, I know it's not realistic, but style-wise, it really fits in with everything else he's doing. I love the odd angles of, like, the policemen and the people, like, behind him in the crowd. It's, it feels very indie uh, quote unquote, uh, you know his his art style. But there was a discussion on Twitter, and I don't know if you saw Dan, but uh, Jason chimed in, and Grant and and uh, uh, David Weeder, who who does the, the Daredevil podcast, who I think is really insightful. Uh, that dude um, was talking about how this book always stood out from everything else, very indie flavor to it, and um, we see that the whole time that Stroman's going to be penciling this and especially with Oliver doing the art the the colors here like another just like she's she's a superstar right <laughs> yes um and she makes it work yeah for sure and it's it's amazing because Alan Davis is a very different style than Stroman obviously right but she's able to adjust to each and like I wouldn't say highlight but really make the artwork come to life in, in the two distinct styles and like she does a great job here is, is all I'm saying she's and she um she leans more into a, a sort of I don't know uh, um I hate to say noir but she leans more into the shadows a lot more in this book than she ever did in uh, Excalibur yep I think it really works like the way she colors uh, Pietro um 
the way Pietro is often cover, coloured here, where he's often cast in shadow and mm-hmm. um, with white highlights, is a really striking image. It kind of informs the fact that he is he is the arsehole of this team, or well, one of the right. assholes of this team. Um, and I think the the art informs character so well, and the colour work is helps tremendously mm-hmm. in showing each individual character how they are perceived by this the world as well. I feel I don't know there's just um, so much we could probably talk about uh, Oliver's impact and all the books she's been on. Yeah, um, because I think it's often overlooked when you talk about Alan Davis and the Strowman and you realise that half the work is is Oliver picking up the heavy lifting and, and really fleshing out the world's sort of visual style. So it's lovely. Isn't it? it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's beautiful. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I, I even just looking at page like four here where um, Val realizes that Madrox has been killed and uh, Quicksilver is running by and you see him in shadow like in the door frame, but like up close to the camera is just like a quarter of Val's face, like zoomed in on her eye, like shocked, like such a almost, you know, a, a very filmatic, like these, this, like this angle is not something you would normally see in a comic. Like this is someone thinking outside of what we normally see. And I, I think it's superb. Uh, like just, just the way he, his panel they like bleed into each other. I love how Val's like legs are flowing from her chair into another panel, and when we get the the side profile of Quicksilver, it's it's you know also bleeding into other other panels here. It's I don't know how there was something about me as a kid that like understood this was a cool book, but couldn't fully understand why it's a cool book. And I'm glad we're reading this again now because I get to see all the complexity that, that's happening here. Exactly. It's, that um, side of you, the side profile of Pietro is just, it's not even a panel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so distinct. And just having one black line behind him just is enough yeah. to sort of block it all out. It's so crazy. You would think, otherwise you might think, well, he kind of half-assed it, but that's not what's going on here at all. Like, just using that quarter of that panel was enough to highlight what's happening in a very unique way. I love it. Um, he's thinking about where the dialogue's going to be. Mm-hmm. He probably looked at this overly um, robust dialogue of David's like, oh my God, where am I going to put that? That's a lot of words. Sure. <laughs> I, I love that David's dialogue, and it is, uh, you know, I don't know if you listened to, to Jason's take on... Um, on his podcast where he just went over the reboot of, of all the titles uh, in, in like 91. But uh, Grant, who's on that that episode, he said, you know, he doesn't like Peter David's 90s as much as he likes David's later stuff. And you can see it feels like some of this is a little tropey in, in the writing and it's there's some like dad jokes kind of things going on. It's It's not as articulate as it, you know, David will be later on. I mean, if you're if a good artist, you continue to grow and get better, right? So that's pretty obvious. But that being said, um, there's a lot of dialogue happening here, but it's not like over-explaining. 
It's not clouding out the story like Claremont can do. It's just a lot of, there's a lot of like fun back and forth going on with the characters. Like we always talk about how David's able to highlight his character work so well in his stories and going back to 1991, you're like, "Oh yeah, this dude was still like A-list uh writer, you know, even back in the early 90s." Like it's it's amazing how 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 well this stands up, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree. He manages to um, do a lot, even though there's a lot of words on the page, especially the next page. Um, he manages to really flesh out um, Peter as a character, because to be fair, he, he knows who are the ones that are like the, the audience don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knows the ones that the audience do know. Um, so he, he fleshes out what he can, um, which is always a useful choice. Um, and then we cut to uh, Guido's house, which is sort of the temporary base of operations for X Factor. And they're all in the gym, like, working out, basically. And I love Guido is so supersized here. <laughs> I love how they go, yeah. like, like, like 12 out of 10 in terms of how ginormously weird-looking uh, his muscles are. But he's, he's getting, like, a massage. Uh, and this woman who's like jumping on his back is having like a, a good old time, just like stomping on him. Um, I love that Polaris is on like a workout bike in like her costume. Havoc's just like chilling there with rain in the background, just doing like a dance in a leotard. Like it's such a strange workout effort going on here. Um, but it also allows for all the, all the dialogue to be placed in a way that doesn't, uh, you know obstruct what's going on with with the characters. It's really well done. Uh-huh. Uh, we get to learn more about Guido and, and how he has some money and it's juxtaposed with this woman just like stomping on his back. <laughs> I love these action panels. <laughs> um, uh, and then Quicksilver and Val uh, show up with their giant teleportation puppy who I totally forgot uh, was featured in this book at all uh obviously i'm sorry he's well it was quite he's, he's in it for quite a while isn't he as long I, as quicksilver's there I, I don't know you know at this time quicksilver is married to or is dating um crystal I believe so that would make sense why he would have access to lockjaw right yeah so they show up and they're like madrox is dead we got to take a look uh investigate uh, they can't believe it. They see it on the news, and then they, 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 they're about to head out when another Madrox shows up, obviously, uh, with a comedic moment and a, and a bit of shock. Um, and they think he's, like, playing a joke on them, when obviously he's not. Uh, then we cut to the evil man behind the scenes, like, hey, I'm going to get y'all. Uh, do you know who this is? Um, no. Okay. We'll, we'll find out. Of course, I do love when it's it's we have the one panel in the middle of this page of him like looking at the TV and all this machinery is like at weird angles pointing at him like highlighting like this is the dude. Just very interesting choices with with how this this room is set up. Yeah, it's it's, it's more cinematic than yep uh, like cinematic principles than mm-hmm. uh, normal comic book. So uh, Madrox is like, hey, I was hiding in the crowd because uh, one of my dupes was killed and I was worried that someone else was going to kill me. 
um, and he explains what was going on, and he went to try and chase down who it was, but they escaped, um, and he tries to um, reabsorb his dupe, but it, it won't happen, and it's freaking him out, uh, and just some great uh, facial expressions going on here, uh, and really dramatic uh, coloring as well to highlight the horror of what he's, he's experiencing. Um, and it really leads to uh, Madrox kind of breaking down, like, are these, are his dupes, like, individual people? Why can't he absorb this other guy? Does do his dupes have a soul? Like, there's, there's a reason why when Peter David uh, resurrects X-Factor that Madrox is a main character, because you can tell uh, he loves the concept so much. Yeah. Um, so, uh, my favorite panel is coming up where, uh, Madrox freaks out and they, they carry them away and, and, um, this reporter asks Val, like, uh, th- he was, what's with this guy? He's a bit of hysteria. And Val's like, he wasn't hysterical. He was beside himself. And, uh, I, just, I don't know if it's a b- really bad dad joke or just like the start of a CSI episode, but I just really appreciated that line. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, moving on, we have a secret villain in the shadows talking about, you know, something's going to happen. Okay. Uh, and then we just get some more fun character work of everyone back at the, at the crib, hanging out, shooting pool and Quicksilver, you know, getting, uh, <laughs> Polaris is like, Hey, talking about the other characters. And she's like, Oh yeah, you slipped my mind, Quicksilver. And you can't get over the fact that he's not like the center of the conversation. He keeps bringing it up, like, yeah. slip your mind, slip your mind, slip your mind, like every panel moving forward. It's a, it's a lot of fun here. I feel like I'm rambling, Dan. Is there anything you want to add to any of this? No. Um, it, it's, it's just fun to, it's just, it's a fun ride to um, read. <laughs> I think it's clever. Right. Well, I love that players and Havoc address here, like, hey, there's a lot of stuff's going on. Maybe we should sort of get reacquainted and, and rain. Uh, watching from the window uh, is like, uh-oh, I don't like this. Because she's been, what, genetically adjusted to be predisposed to liking Havoc, right? Is is that what happened to her? Something, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's weird. Mm. <laughs> I believe so. So Val tries to help out Madrox, who's going through an existential crisis. Um, uh, it's really interesting and very, like, film noir uh, page happening here, and then we jump to some like traditional superheroics where there's a, there's a fire and Polaris and Havoc go to save them. Uh, I, I love anytime uh, Glenn Oliver gets to work with reds and yellows, uh, especially with fire, is just gorgeous. So when he's saving these these kids from this burning building, I think is is superb. Uh, and then their their kiss afterward with that giant flowing Polaris hair is just just delicious. Um, is um, that panel of him jumping out the window or jumping out or whatever is my favorite of yeah. the issue. It's, it's great stuff. Then um, Alex and Polaris start to rekindle their their, their flame here and, and Rain's kind of upset. Uh, and then they have a press conference to announce the team. I love that everyone's in a costume except for Quicksilver, which you're like, is it because they don't want him to have a costume or because he's too like arrogant that he feels like he doesn't need an X-Factor costume? Um, but when I started reading X-Factor, 
this these were the costumes they all had, and so my initial memory of Havoc is wearing this like weird headscarf, uh, button-down weird jumpsuit thingy that I thought was yeah. the, the coolest costume in the world when I was like you know twelve years old. <laughs> they cool. It's good. It's a good look. I like the yellow blue, mm. yellow blue rest of the thing. Uh, Guido has had trouble coming up with a, a name for himself, and they're like, "Hey, who's the strong guy on the team?" And he he pops out. I was like, "I am. That's my name, Strong Guy." And <laughs> okay, he put a ton of thought into his name that continues on to this day. He's just Strong Guy, sure. Um, and then they're, they're taking questions from uh, journalists, and someone out there's like. That can't be Jamie Madrox because I am Jamie Madrox because there's another Madrox out in the audience, Dan, to be continued. What did you think? Um, it's fun. It, um, it's, it's, it's quite playful. It has a nice little superhero moment. I always love a press conference in a superhero team book. Um, and I think that the, the mysteries of... Madrox and the the guys in the background are very like classical, um, sort of pulpy. Mm-hmm. There's quite a lot of pulp going on in in the writing, and um, I think everyone, all the characters are quite cool. I I don't know. I think the only one that I have a disconnect with as like a a way of developing a character is 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 Will Spain. I think her arc at the moment is slight at best, mm-hmm. um, and she definitely needs to get over Alex and become her own person. Um, but other than that, I think it looks great and it sounds great. I read well. So, yeah, it's, it's easy. To, it's the best book of the four that we've read. Um, and it's just a really nice issue. Uh, I can't really... I don't really see too much. As it goes forward... If it kept, if it keeps this pace, it'll be, it'll be good. It'll be a good run of book. Book. I can't even say words now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, it is, is solid. It's what I remember X Factor being. It's, um, how those characters are to me. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. right. Which means it's obviously going to do a Gen X and die in in fourteen issues time. <laughs> that seems to be our pattern, isn't it? I did a little sneak peek, and Strowman's on here for like I don't know, ten, twelve issues ish, uh, with a few little breaks. So it's it's going to continue for a little bit at least, and then we'll we'll see what happens. Um, I I didn't start off with this issue when I started reading this book. They had been much more established, um, and I really remember the issue when multiple men died for the first time, uh, being a big yeah. thing. Uh, I I remember the holographic giant. Maybe it wasn't holographic, but it was a very shiny, like bright red cover, if memory serves. And it was, he had, uh, what virus was it? He had uh, some virus that. The legacy virus. Yeah, the legacy virus that was killing him, and he was trying to create dupes in battle. And he, yeah, that, that's a very strong memory in, in my mind reading reading that issue. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, at least for the moment, I'm glad that we've added this to the roster, Dan, and until. Time comes when it falls off the wagon and we want to put it out of its misery. We'll add another book that was good at the beginning of its run. <laughs> we might, you know, you never know. 
it might be the point where we're like, um, so we're going to do two issues, uh, two episodes on uh, Generation X and just wrap that up because it's a mess, <laughs> you know, and then, <laughs> that could happen. That's very true. Very true indeed. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's all for, for what we've got going on this time. Um, anything, anything you want to highlight, Dan? Uh, something else maybe that readers might, might enjoy reading? Uh, a TV show you uh, you've been watching recently, or anything, any words of encouragement to uh, our fans out there? Um, just stay safe and stay sane, and watch anything that gives you comfort. Mm. You can always explore new stuff, but go. I feel like at the moment, with the pleasant climate. I think watching comfort food, um, television, and playing video games or comics or whatever that you know. Um, Go for it. Um, there's nothing. To be honest, nothing straight. Um, I'm reading Hickman's Fantastic Four, which is always good if you haven't read it. Um, so if you want to read something new, but other than that, just go back to things that you love and just try and keep yourself um, occupied and not get too sad. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I, I have trouble getting into Hickman's Fantastic Four. I don't know why. It's just maybe there's something about those characters I, I have a difficulty latching onto. I don't know. They are. I find the FF um, quite a hard pill to swallow sometimes mm. because I only really like um, two runs. One well, is Hickman's. Um, and one is um, Wade and um, Wernigo. Where can't say the name. Wernigo. Wernigo. I just want to say Wendigo, but it's not. But yes, Wernigo. There we go. Because um, his art is astonishing, um, and I think Wade does a really interesting job of it. And I feel like there's like that. That run is the defining outside of. Um, Kirby and Lee, I think that run right. defines Fantastic Four um, quite well. And I just like Hickman's style. I think it is cold. His Fantastic Four is much colder than the rest of his Marvel work mm-hmm. um, in places. And he just wants... I think the problem is, the SS, is you either have a favourite SS member or you just don't have one. And if you don't, and if, and if you don't have one, you don't connect to the mm. group like, I don't actually have... I, there's, there's FF members I prefer, but I don't actually have... I won't put any of them in my top 100 characters in comic books. Um, which may or may not be controversial. Um, yeah, I just wouldn't... Uh, like, they're all okay, but sometimes they're just... In, I don't know about you, but when I read them, I'm like, oh, I like the thing. Oh, no, he annoys me now. And I'm right. like, I like the human type. He annoys me. Yeah. And I, yeah, they, they always sort of annoy me at some point Susie anyone never really dips into annoying me but sometimes she's just not there she's just wall <laughs> uh, um, it all depends I preferred it when it was the future foundation mm-hmm. but then again that's sick when so maybe I should just yeah um, but other than that um, I've been reading uh, Dragon Ball Super the manga and mm-hmm. it's really beautiful the art is really beautiful and if you just wanted to read it nice looking manga and it's all really cheap well in this country manga is super cheap mm-hmm. um, that's always good 
Well, the uh, yeah. the manga is supposed to be a little bit better than the, the anime anyway, in terms of streamlined story, makes a little bit more sense, flushes out the characters a little bit better. Um, there are parts of that anime I really like, and parts I'm like, this is terrible. Um... <laughs> I enjoyed I enjoyed Super on on the whole, but I agree there are parts where I'm like meh, <laughs> and then other parts I'm like yay. There's um, the the fight. I was you know once again it's like Vegeta is always shortchanged <laughs> in these things, and he's like the most interesting character uh, in terms of the character arc he's gone through and, and what he's trying to do. Goku is really just like a hey I'm good guy likes fight, and that's like his whole characterization. You know, but yeah. Vegeta has actual like pathos and like there's a reason behind what he's doing, but he's always shortchanged. Yeah. In 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 this uh, in this series, Goku puts entire realities on the line just to up a fight. Yeah. He's a villain. He's literally <laughs> selfish villain. A horrible parent. He is one of the worst written characters I've ever experienced. I know there's a lot of Goku fans out there, but he is a, not a nice person. Um, and there's so much I could say about I'd rather prefer Gohan to be the focus after yeah, what happened. Sure. Um, my favorite character, you talk about short change. My favorite character is Piccolo. So sure. Oh, God, yeah. I don't just get short change. He hardly appears. Mm. <laughs> when, when he does, and when he does, just... he's injured like his first fight and just hobbles around. Yeah. Um, what I do say, though, is that it did... Um, the Tournament of Power, which may be the longest Oy. arc, is really long, isn't it? It's like 70 episodes. It's forever. Um, I enjoyed bits of it, but I generally just got bored of spoilers. Got bored of when does Goku stop this fight? Mm-hmm. When does Goku? Whereas that, it, when you have like, you could you can criticize DC for Superman all you like, but when you have a character that is godlike, um. Toyama does the Superman thing way worse than DC ever does. Like, everyone's in a holding pattern until Goku beats them. At least in the in DC Comics, they do try and let the other characters do something. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but to be fair yeah. to Toriyama, this isn't him writing the story. This is another person, so... Um, True. Yeah. Yeah, um... Also, um, Super brought back my least favorite person with a vengeance, and that's Roshi. Yeah, so all of a sudden he's like on par with everyone else who, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people who had trouble. He 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 couldn't even take on the like the Saiyans when they first arrived on Earth. Like he wouldn't be strong enough for that. But suddenly he's like on Freeze's level. <laughs> like the power, and it's it's really nerdy and maybe like not fair to get into like this power scaling bit. But you're like. He could be a valuable part of the team in terms of like strategy, sure. But like just going out there fighting people, you're like, do you want to be consistent at all with your cannon or no? It does more than Piccolo does. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, a, yes. Oh God. Um, but um, which is why Roshi's weird perviness just yeah. does my head in. Sure. And it, it it's all over. Um, that is all over Toriyama's work, and that mm, annoys me. Yeah, I don't it's know very why. Japanese. Yeah. Um, but MVP, um, I know we've completely gone on a tangent. Two MVPs uh, for me in the entire Super, or three MVPs um, for me, are Freezer. Mm-hmm. He's fun. He is the he is the MVP of 
the tournament of power arc for me. Mm-hmm. He's hilarious. Yeah. I just laughed. I just loved the like the guy just the voice actor ham hams it up. Like it, they've completely run with, with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, being a really hammy villain. Um, I found is it um, uh, Weiss Weiss. Oh yeah. Weiss? Yeah. He just makes me just just oh, great laugh. Yep. And the other MVP for me because. I generally like a cackling. I, maybe I just like villains more. Is I really enjoyed Samusu. Um, it he was completely shot changed near the end of his arc, but <laughs> like he completely shot changed. But I think the run up to his arc and his ideas was something that um, felt a little different for Dragon Ball. Right. And they're actually giving like it felt like they were fleshing him out a little bit more. Um, I quite enjoyed. Him being just that kind of sneering evil, um, so there were different, there were different people. I, I do like a lot of the characters, like Vegeta's fun, Beerus's fun, yeah, and such. Well, I do like that they just think, I do like that they ignore anything after um, that Dragon Balls after when Toriyama didn't do one Dragon Ball Z series, so they just ignore like fusion and like the two kids that could easily kick someone's ass. Yeah. When they come together, they're like, oh, no, no, we don't use them. <laughs> we don't yeah, we don't use them anymore. <laughs> and, and 18, bless her, she is literally ignored until the Tournament of Power. And even in the Tournament of Power, she's practically ignored. Yeah. Um, and I was like, she's super powerful. Because like you say about power power levels, she like takes them all out in her arc and when they're all Super Saiyans and stuff. Um I do like the introduction of some of the new characters. It's a crazy. It's a, we could we could do an entire one episode podcast special yeah. on just Dragon Ball Super. So yeah, if that's what people want, so you know. yeah, we we could <laughs> bonus episode. Why not? Um, for, for me, there there are two shows that I. Uh, all right, three shows that I've sort of been four shows. Whatever. There are a couple of shows I've really been enjoying recently. Um, <clears throat> One, if you're into something a little bit darker, uh, it's it's still funny. is called Better Things. Um, it's uh, it's kind of like a slice of life Hollywood sort of a a deal, and, and that's part of it. Rubs me the wrong way of like, oh, it's so tough to be Hollywood is is in there, uh, but there's some great comedy, and it's it stars a, a woman written created by a woman, um, and is really good stuff. Uh, so it's like a you know 25 minute. Comedy. It's on Hulu here or FX, so I don't know if, if you get it over there, Dan. But I would totally recommend uh, Better Things. Um, the, the other show I think is, is just coming back for season two is What We Do in the Shadows. I think is super hilarious and and silly and dumb and, and great way to just take your mind off of stuff. Um, it's about I don't, I don't know if you saw the the film, but this is a TV series about vampires, like a documentary on vampires. Um, I watched it. It's very good. Yeah, it's very fun. Yeah, and I love their 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 assistant Guillermo uh, and his his history. Um, <laughs> is I don't want to spoil it, but it, it's really great. Um, and sort of the new direction they took, like in the series, uh, one of the vampires is an energy vampire, so he's got a whole different set of rules to him, and he's just all about like draining your energy by making you bored or sad or something. It's it's a fun take on stuff. Um, and then uh, I started rewatching Silicon Valley, which is problematic in sort of its uh, 
lack of female characters, but is also super hilarious. So if you're just looking for a fun fun show, I would recommend that. And finally, Dan got me into uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Um, so I've been sort of binging that as well, which has been fun. So if you're looking for some shows to take your mind off of things, that's what I would recommend. Amen. Hmm. Alrighty. Well, Dan, this was lovely. Um, I'll try to get this out faster than the last time. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> sorry, in- injuries. It feels like there's always something. Injuries had me sidelined, but I'm, I'm back up and running. So we'll get this out to everyone soon. And uh, where can they find us all, Dan? You can find us on Podbean at podbean.com forward slash Excalibur. You can find us using Google because we do typing in Excalibur. We do pop up and uh, main part of call if you want to contact us is on Twitter at Excalibur1. Cool. Alright, well thanks everybody and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye bye.